This podcast is proud to be part of the TalkSport Fan Network. TalkSport. Powered by fans. And there it is. That's as good as it gets on this stage. Nissan Townstar EV strikes again. It's an unstoppable van. Unstoppable. Look, just fantastic. You can actually see the ProPilot technology in action. Effortless parallel parking. It moves with all the confidence that comes with a five-year warranty. And with a bench full of all-star van experts, there's real strength in depth here. That's all-star quality. Search Nissan Townstar EV and visit your local all-star van centre to see for yourself. Terms and conditions apply. Five years or 100,000 miles, whichever comes first. ProPilot is an advanced driver assist technology. Driver's responsibility to stay alert, drive safely and control vehicle at all times. The TalkSport Fan Network is proudly supported by Mook Delivery, bringing you the food you love. Mook Delivery brings a top-tier lineup of food right to your door. No matter the result, you'll always be winning with Mook Delivery. So the only thing left to say is, Georgie, check for Dadsy. You in? Order now on the McDonald's app and you can also get rewards points delivered too. So the ordering today means some tasty rewards for tomorrow. <laughs> only via app at participating restaurants. 18 plus rewards registration required. Points only on menu items. Delivery free in term supply. See mcdonalds.com. This podcast is part of the Sports Social Podcast Network. I've got to say, if you talk to any of the 98, 99, 2000 players, they will tell you I was referred to as Buffet Boy. Leicester City have a penalty kick in the sixth minute of injury time. Injury time, injury time. Look out, takes, Almunia saves, knock out Bolletin, Almunia saves again. And now Wapner on the counter-attack. Forestieri. Oh, I don't believe this. Here's Hawk. Dini! I do not believe what I've just seen. Troy has scored from a Leicester penalty that was saved by Almunia. Do not scratch your eyes. Do not scratch your eyes. Do not scratch your eyes. You get the facts, obviously, and you've worked with an absolute legend, you know, the, the foundation stone on which the club is based. So I was uh, coaching over at Aylesbury United um, at the time when the first, I think it was a pre-season game, was played at Aylesbury under Viali. Yeah. And and the press took everything over, the, the Italian press. Your job, presumably, had gone from you knowing all these contacts to suddenly... A, a boss you don't know, and an awful lot of the, I imagine, interested press in the, it's certainly in the early days, you wouldn't yeah. have known and were from another country. Take us through how that was in terms of segueing into that. Yeah, that was a really interesting summer. Luca didn't really, well, to be fair to Luca, he only ever worked at Chelsea as a manager where mm. Chelsea had a massive infrastructure. And, you know, if he wanted something, he got it and money was no object and he had lots of people around him. And he came to Watford where that wasn't the case. And, you know, very early on, it became quite clear that he didn't really know what he'd let himself in for and Watford didn't know what they'd let himself in for. I mean, I remember one of the first things we had to get a, a different team coach because there weren't enough chairs on the original one because we had so many staff going to away games. You know, we had multiple masseurs and, a, you know, a team chef and the pie carrier and everything else. You know, we had all these... <laughs> Random. A role I'm finally built for. Pie <laughs> carrier, not pie eater. I was the pie eater. But yeah, it was, you know, it was it was almost like he what he thought he could do was take the model from Chelsea and just roll it out of Watford. And so yeah, we had media coming from all over the place. It's the first time I dealt with a manager who had friends in the media that he talked to but didn't tell me what he'd said. So that was tricky, you know. So I'd, I'd get phone calls where obviously it was obvious that Luca or someone close to Luca had told them who we were signing 
and I'm on the back foot. I, I found out that we were signing Ramon Vega, not from anyone who works at Watford. Um, and that makes it very difficult. But it was also, you know, what what's commonplace now, you know, I didn't realise back then, but now it's the, obviously the way and it worked. And that's how it worked then was you had agents who wanted to get their player publicity. So I should imagine Ramon Vega's agent knew that Ramon Vega was going to join Watford. And it could have been Ramon Vega's agent that told them that he was, you know, joining us. But suddenly it was a different world. We were dealing with a manager who didn't really get the club. We were dealing with players who had agents that didn't really care what Watford thought they were out to make their player famous. It was it was just a, it was a it was a hectic summer. You know, none of you didn't really get much warning of who was arriving. When they did arrive, it wasn't the same. So Graham used to insist, you know, that if a player joined and we had a press conference, they had to do it. We never really got that, so it was a bit random, you know. I remember Stephen Hughes joining and trying to get a press conference organised, and Luca was, well, "Why do you need a press conference? So, you know, what do you need to do that for?" He didn't really get that these things were important to to Watford, and that we weren't Chelsea. You know, we didn't we didn't naturally get coverage from national newspapers. We needed the Watford Observer, we needed Three Counties Radio, we needed the Evening Standard, but he never really understood that. I remember him saying, we're going to be the Manchester United of the Championship. And I sat and I thought, oh, God, that's, that's going to come back to bite us on the arse. And then he also said, I'm only interested in signing world-class players. And this is in front of the collected press, all the nationals, everybody's there. I'm only going to sign world-class players. And my first signing is Ramon Vega. And I remember being all, there was audible sniggers in the room. Do not get me started on that, man. Yeah. Do not get me started on that transfer. Yeah. Oh, so yeah, that was yeah, that summer was really interesting. You know, the players that came in, Vega, Hughes, Blondo, Pierre um, I, I remember that he 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 had a massive infatuation with a striker called Igli Tari. What? Yeah, uh, the Albanian. <laughs> yeah, the Albanian international, Igli Tari. He's in the same category as Sietes for me, as I don't think he really yeah. exists. I don't think there's a real person with Igli Tari. But Luca was absolutely, yeah, this is going to be the striker. He's the one that's going to lead our line. And, you know, before the days of Wikipedia, I looked up his stats and, yeah, you know, you thought, well, this, this could be great. And I seem to remember that he went off, to, he was playing in Germany, I think, and Luca went off to meet him in Germany. But obviously, Tari's agent didn't fancy Watford. So Tari's agent took Tari off to Italy. And when Luca got to Germany, yeah. Tari wasn't there. So he spent two days sightseeing. <laughs> Meanwhile, Igli Tari, I think, went and joined Brescia in Italy. It may have been, it may have been a, yeah. anywhere but Watford. Uh, and so we never did get Igli Tari. I think Luca had a couple of nice days in, in Germany and he went to Brescia. And we ended up signing Marcus Gale right at the last minute for yeah. a million. <laughs> uh, you know, and Marcus Gale was probably, of all the signings that Luca made, you know, it was the best one we got. Yeah, he done well, didn't he? Really, yeah, really nice well. We, we signed him as a forward and he ended up yeah. playing in the... He played at the back, yeah, yeah. yeah, well, yeah. yeah. Let's, let's not let's not let's overlook the fact that the bloke we signed to score a load of goals ended up playing centre half. But exactly, you know, yes. it's, it's, uh, it's the Igli thing. I must have written the Igli Tari press release, press release two or three times because it's coming, Andrew. It's definitely definitely this is the week. And then he disappeared and went to Italy. So yeah, the preseason was was not good. It, in fact, if that was the preseason that we went to Italy, um, and because yes. my wife was heavily pregnant, I, I didn't go. Did we play? Did we play we, Sampdoria? At, we, at we played Inter. We played oh, Inter Milan. Inter Milan. Yeah. Yeah, we played. I think it was Fiorentina and then Inter Milan. And Inter Milan had Ronaldo. 
And I, I remember getting messages back from fans that we had a lot of players who were more interested in getting his autograph than they were in marketing. <laughs> you know, it was it was a bit of a oh dear, this doesn't look good. But even then, I didn't really think that we could are, possibly. Are there any photos out there of him actually playing against us? Because uh, I'd love to see that. I got, well, the only reason I know he played is we had a couple of shirts signed by him that we did competitions with. But as I say, I didn't go. I was sat at home. Um, Maybe worth a fortune now. <laughs> I, I, I just was bitter, not bitter, because my wife said, well, you know, you don't go because I'm heavily pregnant. No, you're right. And then she went two weeks over and I could have gone to Italy. And you could have gone. Uh, yeah, that's typical. Um, isn't it? No, I, I honestly didn't think that we were going to be as bad as we were that season until we went to Man City on the first day. And I think. Oh, uh, I was there. I was there. Manager of Man City. Yeah. No, no, Kevin Keegan. Kevin Keegan. And we, we lost 3 0 when Neil. We were dreadful. We were, we were woeful. And from that moment on, I mean, I can't remember too many individual games that season. I can remember us having a good run in the cup and then going to Sheffield Wednesday and absolutely lousing it up by sort of resting a load of players. And that sort of, you know, we, we had no momentum at all. And we were just... Oh, I, so many... Yeah. And I remember signing Paul O'Con on loan. God, that's um, a name. You know, he was he was the king of crab football because he was it was like playing bar football with him. He only ever went sideways. Yes. He never ever he would contort his body in a way that he couldn't possibly kick the ball forward. But I remember his first game was away to Rotherham, and he warmed up with his shirt pulled over his hands because he was cold. And I thought, <laughs> yeah, I don't know you're not gonna, yeah, that's not gonna work. That also was the Rotherham game was the famous one where someone threw a meat pie at Luca. Yes. So it was, he was stood next to the dugout and at the old Rotherham ground, not the one they're at now, uh, their old ground, you could stand quite close and someone threw a pie at him and it, he had a sort of like a, it wasn't a club coat, it was like a sheepskin type coat, I think, and it stuck <laughs> to the back of the coat and the gravy and meat were dripping down the back of the coat Brilliant. and out of the dugout came Ray Wilkins who sort of scooped it up with his hands and I don't think he ate it but sort of got it away and Viali just never flickered like you know I've, I've had many meat pies <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, yeah he just, he just, here we are we're talking Italian footballing legend has just had a Rotherham meat pie stuck to the back launched at him yeah, yeah. What what yeah. what am I seeing here? That's some. The only that other thing I'll tell you about that season, a, a really good story. And I, you may have heard it. We, I think we were already guaranteed that we weren't going up, and we played Stockport away. And Stockport that season had been particularly bad, and I think they were massively cast adrift. And I think they might even have been down by sort of end of February, early March. They were that crap. And when we got there, not only were they crap, they'd also had an injury crisis, and they'd had to play. They were playing a sixteen-year-old defender and a 17-year-old keeper. And Andy Dibble had come out of retirement to be their yeah. goalie on the bench. So, you know, you're looking at it, you're thinking, this is a team that's, that everyone's been beating them and they've got injury worries and they've got a dinosaur on the bench. You know, <laughs> we must surely win this one. And we lost. We lost 2-1. And we still had fans singing, Viali Army, Viali Army. And I'm sitting in the press box and thinking, there ain't no Viali Army about this. This is, this is terrible. Anyway, after the game, we go into the press room and you can imagine local media covering Stockport, you get some pretty wizened old hacks who, you know, this was their chance to quiz a legend. So Luca did, you know, his usual sort of platitudes about, you know, um, a very difficult game. Uh, they're like a wounded animal because they bomb at the table and all this sort of thing. And he said, and Stockport is a really difficult, I can't say it without laughing. <laughs> Stockport is a really difficult place to come and win. And this local journalist said, 
Yeah, hasn't stopped 17 other teams doing it, though. <laughs> 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 I just excuse me from, and Lucas sort of gave him an icy glare as if he hadn't asked a question and carried on. But, you know, that it was the first time when you had to realise that, you know, we were supposed to be the Man United of the Championship and we just lost to Stockport, bottom of the league, already relegated with two kids in their team. How yeah. much further could we fall? Mm. And thankfully, it was only one season. What I will say, Luca was a very nice bloke. He was a good laugh. He was extremely polite to me. He never caused me any problems in as much as being rude or aggressive or anything else. He just did not fit. He did not understand it. He couldn't understand why when we did a press conference, if he was an hour late, people had a problem with it. You know, well, what's the problem? I'm an hour late. He couldn't understand why if he was doing a radio interview and he decided to eat a tuna roll, the local <laughs> radio bloke would say, well, I can hear you chewing. Well, what's the problem with that? You know, he just didn't get it because I should imagine at Chelsea, he was probably insulated from all that sort of thing. Whereas at Watford, he was thrown into it. And so, you know, he was just the wrong play in the wrong place at the wrong time, the wrong person, a bad appointment. But he was a gentleman and in the couple of times I've seen him or spoken to him since he's always been very polite. I'm sure the fan was awful. He certainly didn't deliver on the pitch uh, and off it. He nearly took us to the edge and he probably cost me my job in the long run, but I can't moan about him. He was always all right with me. Yeah. Fair play. Fair play. Gonna, yeah, yeah. So, so at the end of that season, and I think, you know, yes, he, he, he is moved on or he moves on and, all well, sorts of, in, no, exactly. All sorts of interesting things occurred. How do you, in in that kind of comms position and interfacing with, you know, a media who are very hungry for anything, kind of information? I imagine still on Bialy at that point. What what does your day to day suddenly turn into? Well, I think most people had worked out he wasn't going to get a second season. Whether that be that he uh, he was never going to resign. He was not that sort of person. But you know, officials at the club above my pay grade had said, look, you know, there won't be a second season of this. We just don't quite know how we're going to extricate ourselves from it. And eventually, obviously, you know, he, he was called in, Ray. And so, I mean, he had so many staff, you know, there was, it was like being outside the headmaster's office. There was a long queue of them waiting to go in, you know, and he was first. So it was pretty obvious. And, and, and be also, to be fair, by then, the media had lost a bit of interest in this because I think what they were looking for was Luca Vialli to rip up the championship, win it by 20 points, and, you know, that was obvious quite early on it wasn't going to happen. So we weren't quite getting the same sort of scrutiny. We got a bit of, you know, can't believe you sat Yali, but then that didn't really cut any ice because we were bad. You know, it wasn't like we'd sacked a bloke who'd just missed the playoffs. We'd sacked a bloke who finished mid-table and signed a load of duffers. Yeah. So, yeah, that summer, it, it wasn't too bad. The biggest concern for me was who was coming in and what we were going to get because... You know, we, we had a, a high-profile appointment that, that went badly wrong. What I didn't know was whether the board were going to try and make another high-profile appointment um, or whether they would stick with what we, you know, someone that we got. But there, there were so few options. And, and the one option that I hope they went with was Ray, because Ray was a thoroughly nice bloke. Um, you know, in that season with Viali, Ray looked after the reserves. And, you know, I often talked to him on his own and, and, and other people at the club did. And, and he was on a different page to the rest of the sort of Viali circus. He was much more grounded. And Viali would often say jump. And there'd be a queue of people to ask how high. And Ray wasn't in that queue. Ray was right. his own man, you know. And what, what Luca really needed was a couple of people who went to Luca, are you sure? But what he had was people went, yeah, Luca, you know, right, that's it. It was very much the emperor's new clothes. You know, they could all see he was naked, but none of them were going to tell him. 
Mm. Whereas Ray, if he'd been asked, would have gone, I can see, uh, you know, you're meeting two vegetables, you're massively exposed <laughs> to it. So I really hoped that, that Ray would get the job, and he did. And it, and that meant that, you know, the season would be a lot easier because Ray was, you know, he, he was he was obviously not Graham Taylor, but of that ilk. He understood yeah. local media, he understood the need for the community. He just got Watford Football Club, you know, and as was shown later on, you know, he, he was a very good guy working under difficult circumstances. So... Once we knew Ray had got the job, I wasn't really too worried because I knew that everything would be fine again and we'd go back to how we were of, you know, him telling us things and not finding out secondhand and him being amenable to the media and doing his community stuff. So, yeah, while, while it was a, a, a tough summer in as much as, you know, we'd had a crap season and we'd also started to, you know, realise that we were going to have to sell players to exist, having Ray there meant it was all right and and Ray was a, and Terry Burton were really nice guys to work with. Sports Social, now on the Sports Social Podcast Network. Hello, I'm Ashley Blaker, and I'm hosting a new season of the comedy panel show, Never Write Off the Germans, in partnership with my diesel claim. Join me and my esteemed comedy guests as we discuss all that's ridiculous with the greatest show on earth this winter in a host nation with domestic football equivalent to the Isthmian League South. We'll guide you through the tournament covering everything that's funny with the countries taking part. Whether you're a diehard fan or an occasional bandwagon jumper, you're supporting your home nation until they're embarrassingly knocked out by Iran. Listen on the Sports Social Podcast Network or wherever you get your podcasts. But remember, never write off the Germans. Yeah, yeah. I mean, the, the, again, the football wasn't exactly... Rip roaring, but we did go to a FA Cup semi final under uh, Ray and Terry. Yeah, um, I remember. I mean, those that's the season I remember. I remember those games. Really. I remember going should to have won Mac- that, should have won that, in my opinion. That semi final, yeah. Villa Park. Yeah, it was a really good run. I mean, I remember going to Macclesfield. Um, my, my abiding memory of Macclesfield was driving into the town and there was a big hoarding on the side of a building of Che Guevara. And I remember thinking, I wonder what connection Che Guevara's. I never did find it. In Macclesfield. Yeah. I should imagine imagine the Guevara family are absolutely delighted. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah. I mean, I would be. Absolutely. Macclesfield. It must be, of all his achievements, that must be amongst the best. But yeah, Macclesfield, I enjoyed that one. I think we beat West Brom at home. They were a Premier League club. Yeah. Um, went to Sunderland. Um, that's where I forget where the, the referee was, but full marks to that referee who ordered a penalty to be taken again at Sunderland. Tommy Smith, uh, wasn't it? Tommy was Smith. Yeah, yeah, Tommy Smith one, yeah. Um, and then we played Burnley in the quarterfinal. Uh, and I, I can't remember where else the teams were in the quarterfinal draw, but I remember thinking, we really want Burnley. And, and we got it. And you thought, well, this is it. That's our year. Stephen Glass, who was one of the yeah. better signings we had, scored a yeah. really good free kick. Brilliant. Um, and you're right. I think, you know, on another day... We might have won that semi-final. Funny James, enough, Be- James Beatty, was it Southampton? Yeah, Top of yeah. yeah. I talked, and I Brett Ormerod. I talked to Smith today, who that was one of the the downsides of that semi-final. If you remember, um, he dropped Chop- Chopra for Chopra. Michael Chopra. Yeah. And, and you know, Tommy said to me today, he said once that happened, I knew that that was it for me at Watford. Yeah, Not we- I'd get back in the team, but I needed a change of scenery and. We- we spoke to him on a on a podcast about it about that semi final. Yeah, and, and you know he, he he's quite honest about it. Um, very yeah, you know massively, and you can't blame him. You, can't uh, blame you him know, I, I I I think you know if I've been in issues, it was interesting because when we brought Chopper in, it was quite obvious that you know there was a feeling that we weren't scoring enough goals, and Chopper was there to do that. But Tommy hadn't done much wrong, and, and you know, and, and to be fair, Chopra, I can't even remember him doing anything in the semi final of any great note. It doesn't. It's not like you think, oh yeah, that. But then Ray was the manager. That was his decision. You know, you, that's what you live or die by. And 
and I'm sure Ray had a very interesting conversation with Tommy and, you know, Tommy left soon afterwards. But, yeah, that's my memory. The other memory of that season was the game at Burnley, which I've never seen one like it. Where 7-4, yeah. 7-4, yeah. But didn't, I remember, didn't you know, Chopra like, score I, about four goals we, in that game, like, didn't he? Isn't, sorry? Didn't Chopra score four goals in that game? Yes. Yeah. They were the first goals he scored. I remember we were something like 4-1 up. And, I mean, Burnley is, is not a nice place to go. Um, that is an understatement. Yeah, I, I never really enjoyed Burnley. I got locked in at Burnley one night. It's by mistake in the press box. Oh, my God. We, we, <laughs> Viali was... So, I'll just divert there. Viali was very late. If if we, you know, in a midweek away game, he sometimes would think, I'd try, if I turn up late, I'd have gone home. But the media would wait for him. And, obviously, at Burnley, they definitely waited. He was very late in his press conference. I went back to the press box, and I'm typing away... And the next thing, all the lights went out, and I heard this clonk, and the gate behind me was locked, and I'm locked in the press box. So, <laughs> oh, shit. Got out of the press box, and then got back to the car park, and they'd locked that as well. Oh, brilliant. There was a sort of a feeling there that, you know, not only is this a bad season, but I'm not going to have any happy memories at all. So, yeah, the, being locked in at Burnley. But the the 7-4, was it 7-4? It was 7-4. We were 4-1 we up, and I remember some great windmills from the locals down the front of the stand, you know, throwing their season tickets on their pitch and that's it, I'm never coming back. And you could see him because I was at the back of the stand, you could see him leaving. Half yeah. hour gone, 4-1 down. Two roars later, it's 4-3. They're trying to get back yeah. in. I want to come, I still love you, Clarence, let me back in. <laughs> that, was, that was quite a phenomenal game. And then after the game, Neil Cox was playing. I think he, did he score? And he was a real joker. And I think Nigel Gibbs was on the bench. And I don't know if you know, Nigel's got lost part of his thumb. So he's... Yeah, yeah. And I remember Neil Cox saying... If we'd have, if, we, if there'd been another goal, Gibbo couldn't have counted them all on his hands. Hey, hey. <laughs> <laughs> which was, and, I mean, we all, but yeah, that that was that the, the seven four stuck in my mind, um, and the cup semi final. But then towards the end of the season, it was pretty obvious. I think that was around the time that ITV Digital went belly up. Yeah, there was the deal with Premium TV for the club websites that didn't deliver the money it should have done. And also, Luca had spent two seasons worth of money in one season. So you put all that together, and the club was yeah. on its financial uppers. And although no one ever tells you, obviously, you get the grapevine, and it was obvious that the club had to cut some costs. I mean, during that season, I'd taken, along with others, took a pay deferral to help us survive. I think that was before the Sheffield United away game or Newcastle, might be not. Yeah, right. Sheffield United was the first, first game after. Yeah. So, you know, we knew things were bad. Um, but the whispers had gone round that people were going to have to lose their jobs. Never saw it coming. Didn't see it coming. Got called in, and basically, that's it. We just can't have you anymore. Simple as that. Mm. But it wasn't quite a redundancy. It was more of a, we need you to go, but we need to keep your job, so we can't make it redundant. Would you settle up with us? Right. Um, and the, it, without making it over dramatic, it's a bit like being dumped. That's how I felt. You know, yeah, I'd yeah. been with the club for five years. I'd, I'd you know, fancied them for years, finally got dated them, thought it was forever. Suddenly, yeah. I'm done. Right. And it was it was, a, it was a really grim summer because I hadn't got any jobs lined up. It was obvious I wasn't going to be able to stay with Watford. It dragged on a bit. Had to get solicitors involved. Never very pleasant. But yeah, it was, it was a real... I, I was really sad. And Tim Shaw, to be fair to him, was always very honest and, and said, look, you know... I know you don't want to do it. I don't want to do it. And you probably hate me. But I think in years to come, you'll think I did you a favour because I think you're capable of doing more than what you're doing now. And I think you're capable of working in other industries. And at the time, you think, ah, tosser. You know, mm. you're just saying that. Yeah. No, he was right. To be fair, he was right. And 
as much as I, I disliked him then, he actually posted a message that was on LinkedIn to say how pleased he was to see me back writing about Watford and back involved. It did me a favour. As we and, all are, because the stuff well, is tremendous. I, I, I never I never wrote about Watford for the Watford Observer. You know, that's the thing. That's yeah. the I didn't really write much at all, but had I not left Watford, I don't. I mean, I certainly wouldn't have stayed very long because I'm pretty sure Mark Ashton would have got rid of me, as he did most people. Yeah, he mm-hmm. did. Yeah. I would. I would have probably gone on worse terms. But yeah, to lose to leave Watford and 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 you know, in the way it was, it didn't make it very nice. And um, it was it was sad, and I missed it. But I stayed in football, and I had another three seasons with Charlton. But you know, when you go to work for another club, you realise it's just a job. Whereas working for Watford was a passion, and that's the difference. Passion, yeah, um, yeah. When I was working for Watford, I would do. I, I hate these people who say they'd give two hundred percent because I'm a bit of a pedant, and that's physically impossible. You can't yes. do two hundred percent. Peter does it at a buffet. I take two hundred percent at a buffet. <laughs> there is a difference. Well, I've got to say, if you talk to any of the ninety-eight, ninety-nine, two thousand players, they will tell you I was referred to as buffet boy. My <laughs> ponchon. Particularly in the Wembley dressing room after the playoff final victory, where I was completely distracted by the media because of a great spread of food. It was absolutely <laughs> a wonderful spread. There were sandwiches, you know, sausage rolls, cakes, the lot. You know, there's media over in the corner. I'm like, screw that. I've just seen. Oh, I'm in here. I'm stuck and in I'm here. In. Yeah. So yeah, they like did. It. The other thing, the other reason they called me that was when we used to travel to away games, you could stay overnight. In the morning, the players would have their breakfast at say eight thirty, and they'd come down. They'd sit there with you know half a melon or some you know some all brown, and that's not really my idea of breakfast. So I used to double egg, bacon, sausage. I'd be up at eight and I'd go down and I'd have the full English, especially if it was a buffet breakfast. You can't love it. Love it. And I've had the lot, and then I'd I'd leave the restaurant at eight twenty-five and loiter outside. And the first the players would come down, they we'd all go in and I'd sit there and I'd have you know some strawberries and a bit of melon. a yogurt and they say to me do you not want that no 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 it's not really fair you know it's not fair when you lot can't have it if i don't it's not fair and i managed to pull that off for about oh about eight months and then one day alec chamberlain got up for breakfast early and walked in and there i was uh, busted with, you know, a large plate of fried down your chin so that was the end of that and of course he then immediately told all the other players and you know the yeah, official food taster and all that sort of thing oh uh... uh, yeah i i buffets yeah the buffet at wembley was particularly good highlight that you know right up there with Nick Wright's goal and spread after is absolutely. I think I think this is a separate podcast. Yeah, even now, I mean, I spoke to Nigel Gibbs the other day and we hadn't talked for a while and we got the usual "How you doing?" Been on holiday and there was a pause. He went, "Been to any good buffets?" Um, <laughs> Love it. You know, it's gonna it's gonna live with me forever. That squad of players, ninety eight, ninety nine, two thousand. When we had that twenty, was it twenty years dinner after the two? Yeah, years? yeah. Oh, Shindish. Yeah, and Shindish I went. Along, I went along thinking, you know, well, I'll go along because I was there and the club invited me. But the players treated me like I was part of the squad, you know, and it was all back slaps and arms around each other. And let's get a photo with Frenchie. And you're thinking, yeah, but you're the famous ones. But that's how they were. You know, it was one big bond. And mm. yeah, and it's been lovely with what I'm doing now with the Observer. That I know I can pick the phone up to any of them and they'll trust me and they'll talk to me. And they know that's if good. it's off the record, it stays off the record. And, mm. you know, and I can awesome. what I want to write about and, and they'll do it. And that's lovely. You know, that that's a mark of that squad. And I can't imagine... I'm going to pick the phone up to Patrick Blondo and ask him about, well, do you remember the time? I think it was at home in Sheffield Wednesday where he substituted himself. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Went on an overlap down the right-hand side, did the usual, oh, that's me thigh or whatever it was, limped back and did that sort of spinny thing with his fingers and went off down the tunnel. Yeah. That was, and done. Well done. 
also, while I'm telling stories, I think that season, that was the season when Vega was injured and was asked to play in the reserves, but only 45 minutes. And at half time when he was substituted, he asked if he could go home. <laughs> and they said, what do you mean? He said, well, I've finished now. I want to go home. And they said, no, you've got to stay in what, the second half. You know, well, I'm not playing. Why do I want to be here? I want to go home. Fantastic. No, you've got to stay. And that was Ramon. Yeah, well, I've done what you told me to do. I've turned up, played 45 minutes. I want oh, to go up. Can't stand that guy. No, can't he wasn't. He I've, got, wasn't... I've, got no, I've got nothing positive to say about that, man. There were, there were stories that may be apocryphal that he actually funded part of the Hornets ward at Watford just by the fines he got for not playing by club rules. That is fantastic. Really? Yeah. I hope that's so true. He turned up one day with, because he kept being fined for true. garments, because he had his own fashion range or something by then. Yeah. And he used to turn up at the training ground, non and there was a fine. To be fair to Viali, he had some really strict fines. And I, I didn't see it, but the story is he turned up with like a carrier bag, walked into the manager's office and put it down and went, there's a load of money in there for fines. When that runs out, tell me I'll give you some more. Brilliant. I don't, I don't wear club garments. Brilliant. Yeah, that was that was wow. <laughs> I'll pay Frank. my fines in advance. That's brilliant. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> Let's cover one last question off on this era, but I'm, I'm really aware of time. And, and no, obviously, look, we, I, we're going to as much time as you like. So, when Graham Taylor came back, and obviously Luther came back, and Kenny came back, and it well, no, he was already he was already still around, obviously, Kenny at the time, but also Elton John came back. Um, at, at the start of that, now I appreciate you probably would have just come back in a little bit after that. But what was mm. what was your kind of dealings from a media perspective in, involving kind of um, El, Elton John in and around that time? El, Elton didn't do too much. I mean, he was. Uh, I think he always was a figurehead. You know, he was a famous person that supported the club, but he genuinely supported the club. It wasn't, you know, I'm just doing this. Yeah. I'll sell. He didn't need to. When I first came back, I didn't have much to do with him. And then, if you remember, Graham got ill he had a problem with his throat he had a, mm-hmm. a an abscess or something it meant he it was rushed to hospital yeah. i called one night saying graham's in hospital and it's serious and yeah you know he was he was off for a long time kenny took the team for a while yeah and around that sort of time there were stories that elton was getting a bit fed up and had lost fallen out of love with football so we had this on the one hand will graham taylor come back and on the other is elton john gonna sell and there was a bit of media speculation that you know the club were struggling a bit and I remember Graham ringing me when he started to get better and said, look, once I've got my throat back, I want to do a press conference with Elton at the ground where we both reaffirm our commitment to the club. So I'm back, I'm fit and well, I'm managing. Elton still loves Watford. He's there, he's going nowhere. So I said, yeah, he said, can you organise it then? So yeah, all right. So when you send out a press release or an invite saying, would you like to speak to Elton John? You generally don't get any no's. Um, And it spreads pretty quickly. So, you know, we, I can't remember what it's called now, but we had that lounge that was over in what is now the lower Graham Taylor. That was ours for the day. And Uh, we filled it. Yeah, the Hornet's Nest, I think it was called at the time. um, And we had, because it was Elton, we had everybody, ITV, BBC, Sky, all the BBC radio stations, ABC, NBC, CBS, Australian, you know, we had satellite trucks. It was just, I've never seen anything like it. Um, and Elton turned up, uh, got out of his long car, and I, I'd been told, you know, he could be a bit difficult. And he just came bounding over and spoke to Graham, and Graham introduced him to me. He said, right, Andrew, I'm yours for the day. Brilliant. Whatever, whatever you want me to do. He said, you just sit me down, tell me who I'm talking to. If I get a bit boring or I'm going off subject, cut me off, take me to the next one. Brilliant. Uh, all right. And I'm thinking, yeah, this is superstar Elton John. And he was good to his word. He was brilliant. He never, ever moaned. He took a break for lunch, and we sat 
out the back in one of the boxes eating sort of egg and cress sandwiches. And I'm, you know, it's a reality check that, yeah, here I am with the bloke who sings Candle in the Wind, <laughs> an egg and cress sandwich, talking about away games at crew. This is happening. It was an amazing day. You know, it went on. I think we started at 11 and I think I left the ground at 7. And he, he, he never, ever said no. He did everything. He gave us, he was brilliant because he said, am I being interesting enough? And I said, what do you mean? He said, well, what do you want me to talk about? I said, whatever you want. Say whatever you like. <laughs> You're Elton John. That's enough. If you could just be Elton John, that's all. Yeah, yeah that's yeah. it. Yeah. 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 Even, even if you recited some of your song lyrics, I think we'd get back page. But yeah. I remember one of the questions at the time, uh, uh, Glenn Hoddle was manager of England and... He just appointed, or there'd been controversy around Eileen Drury. Oh, oh Eileen Drury. Oh, I remember this. Yeah. And Gray Elton just went off on one about that. And then he went off on one about Alan Shearer. Nothing to do with Watford. But the next day, we were back page and three pages inside of all the tabloids. And this was, this must have been, what, late 90s? Yeah, it must have been early 2000s. And yeah. we did your evaluation of it. And I think to have bought the print coverage, never mind the TV, to have brought the print coverage at that time would have cost £1.75 million. So we generated £1.75 million worth of media exposure just from Elton saying, Eileen Jury's a crank and Alan Shearer <laughs> get overrated. It was incredible. You know, and I remember at the end of it, it was a personal, and I've, I've still got it. it. At the end of the day, Elton said, right, I've done everything. Anything else I need to do? I said, no, look, you've been absolutely brilliant. He said, no, you've been brilliant. You've made it so easy for me. But he beckoned to his driver, and the driver came over, and he'd got one of our shirts, the home shirt with the CTX. The CTX yeah, 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 yeah. And he got hold of it, and he went, to Andrew, with love and thanks, Elton John, he dated it. He said, there you go. He said, you've helped me. Have that on me. Fantastic. And I've still got that hanging up. I and bet you never leave. No. Well, I mean, I couldn't really auction it, could I? Because unless you're called Andrew, it's not really a Yeah, true. it's not. Yeah, it, it's a niche market, that one. Yeah, it is. Yeah. Yeah. People, you know, when you go on eBay and you select people who like Watford called Andrew. Yeah, Andrew, Elton John fans. <laughs> yes. <laughs> it's a bit of a narrow market. But that that day lives with me forever because it, it shows, you know, we had two people who were very famous, who had no need or reason other than their love for Watford to be doing what they were doing. It was it was quite a day. Um, and, I, you know, when I look back on it, I think, my God, I did that. And, and I did it on, you know, pretty much on my own that day. And no one ever takes that away from you. But it mm. wasn't about me. It was that we'd done something good for the club. And gone were all the rumours of Graham's not coming back. Gone were the rumours that Alan's going to sell. And the club, you know, went on. And, and it was just a day I, I will never forget. Podcast Network. It's the 90th minute. All your mates around, you've got your McNuggets share boxes ready to go. Your mates already got booked for double dipping and you steal the last nugget, snatching all three points. Perfect. Order McDelivery now on the McDonald's app. You in? <whistles> At participating restaurants, 18 plus. Serving times, delivery free in terms apply. See mcdonalds.com. 
And there it is. That's as good as it gets on this stage. Nissan Townstar EV strikes again. It's an unstoppable van. Unstoppable! Look, just fantastic. You can actually see the ProPilot technology in action. Effortless parallel parking. It moves with all the confidence that comes with a five-year warranty. And with a bench full of all-star van experts, there's real strength in depth here. That's all-star quality. Search Nissan Townstar EV and visit your local all-star van centre to see for yourself. Terms and conditions apply. Five years or 100,000 miles, whichever comes first. ProPilot is an advanced driver assist technology. Driver's responsibility to stay alert, drive safely and control vehicle at all times. This podcast is proud to be part of the TalkSport Fan Network. TalkSport. Powered by fans.